The reigning national champs certainly do not have the easiest road back to the title game if they want to repeat. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, May 7th, and this is the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at the paper, joined alongside Shane Metlin uh, to start today's episode of the podcast. Shane has been entrenched with Duke's lacrosse, Duke's softball uh, for the past few weeks and will continue to do so at least through, uh, continue to be at least through the coming week. Uh, so today, Shane and I will we'll touch on lacrosse, softball, and of course, the CAA's new media deal, which was announced on Monday. Uh, so we'll dive into that a little bit, a, a little bit after uh, talking about lacrosse and softball with James Madison, uh, and then uh, a little later on in the podcast, you'll hear from Cody Elliott uh, about what the latest news is in the prep sports uh, around the area. So uh, I'll start with Shane. Shane, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, doing pretty well. Like I said, it's been uh, busy with uh, lacrosse and softball, but they're uh, getting into the postseason, so it should be fun and exciting time here for the next couple weeks. Yeah, so James Madison lacrosse finished up Colonial Athletic Association play uh, this past weekend by winning the CAA tournament to finish the regular season at 16-3 and overall and 6-0 and uh, in the CAA. They beat Hofstra 16, or beat Hofstra 13-3 on Sunday in the CAA championship, uh, two days after beating Elon 16-5 in Friday's CAA semifinal. Shane, you were there taking care of business, right? Is, is that as simple as it gets? JMU just was the better team, and they, they rolled through their opponents. Yeah, they were clearly the best team in the CAA this year, and took care of them at home. I know Hofstra gave them a tough time up on Long Island earlier in the regular season, but this time around, there really wasn't any doubt. Uh, JMU scored nine goals in a row at one point and opened up that lead and never looked back. And just, yeah, running clock for most of the second half with a 10-goal lead, and it was just uh, just uh, pretty ugly. Both games, really, in the uh, CAA tournament. Yeah, I was going to say, in Friday's CAA semifinal, it, it, as you described in your story, a little bit of a sluggish start, uh, but found, found their footing very quickly. Maddie McDaniel with four goals in that game. She also had four goals in the championship game on Sunday. She's playing pretty well right now, right? Yeah, um, actually planning on writing something about her kind of to preview the NCAA tournament later in this week because she's been a little bit of a do-it-all for JMU this, you know, late in the season. Um, she takes most of their draw controls, which is, you know, kind of the, the women's lacrosse equivalent of the face-off or the jump ball, but they do it after every goal. Um, so... You can, you know, when they run off nine goals in a row, a lot of that is because they're winning possession each time and kind of playing a little bit of make it take it almost, uh, you know, not giving Elon or Hofstra a chance to really ever get back into the game because they don't have possession. And that's such a key. And then also she's scoring more here late in the season on her own. Um, not on her own, really, because she's uh, uh, really been on the recipient of some pretty amazing assists um, these last few games. But she's scoring, she's getting the ball into the net. Um, she even she's not a defender, but uh, one big thing that they did against Hofstra was they had their offensive tackers really putting a lot of pressure in that offensive zone and kind of making it so Hofstra couldn't even get the ball down the field. Um, so really, when I say she's doing it all this last 
week or so, she did a little bit of everything for JMU. Are they becoming a little more versatile on offense as the year has gone along into this into this postseason now? Uh, I saw Logan Brennan, Hannah Haven. They had three apiece, three goals apiece, and that went over Hofstra on Sunday. Are they becoming a little more versatile offensively? I think so, and I think it's a case where um, – you know, it's not the same attack unit that played last year. Hannah Haven was on that first line with a lot of seniors last year. And now she's kind of in that leadership role and the distributor's role where she gets a lot of assists. And now that they played 19 games, they got to the point where I think they're a little more familiar with each other. They know where people are going to be on the field, who's going to cut where, things like that. And the offense is just going a little more smoothly in that regard. Yeah, so JMU then was rewarded with, with, with not so much of a reward, uh, drawing a trip to College Park, Maryland, for the NCAA tournament. JMU, they're not seated in, in this year's event, but will play Stony Brook, uh, who finished 15-4 and four, uh, on Friday at 4 p.m. Uh, that game is at the University of Maryland and College Park. Uh, Seawolves, they, they won the American East. Uh, of course, the winner advances to play top-seeded Maryland, uh, 18 and one uh, overall this year, and that game would be at noon on Sunday in the second round. Uh, Terps they suffered their first loss of the season though uh, in the Big Ten title game against Northwestern, uh, but still that is as tough of a draw as, as JMU could have seen come up on the screen. Correct? Yeah, um, JMU is kind of in a tough, um, weird spot when it comes to the NCAA seeding. They won a lot of games, and all their losses are to really, really good teams, the top five teams, but they didn't have the same level of wins that they did last year um, going into the NCAA tournament. They beat some solid teams, but they didn't beat anybody that's you know a top 10, top 15 team. Um, so they're kind of in a weird spot as far as like where to seed them or where. you know They only seed 10 or 12 teams, I believe, out of the 28-team uh, bracket, but... So they weren't a national seed, but where to put them, kind of where to put them on that S-curve. And then they uh, try to keep teams regional, so there's not a whole lot of travel involved. So it, it's a little bit different situation for them as far as the NCAA bracketing this year. And it kind of tough luck that the regional situation sent them to College Park. I kind of thought maybe they get to go to Charlottesville and play in that UVA part of the bracket, which would have been an easier draw, like just frankly. Um, Maryland, is, Maryland, Boston College, maybe one or two other teams are kind of on another level compared to everybody else in the country. And while UVA is a top five, top six team, that would have been – when they played at JMU early this year, it was a very, very competitive game. Statistically across the board, shots, draw controls, turnovers, everything, it was about as even a game as I've ever seen. JMU just wasn't getting it past the goalkeeper, to be frank, and wasn't taking as good a shots as they have a lot of times this year. So a rematch there would have been very interesting, but trying to get past Maryland is going to be a, a tough, tough uh, battle for them. Yeah, JMU was blown out by Maryland earlier this season, 18-5. to That's that's tough. Is there... Well, before we get to Maryland, if, if JMU were to beat Stony Brook, let's let's talk about Stony Brook for a minute in JMU. Two schools have never met in lacrosse. Uh, odd to think about, yeah. uh, considering Stony Brook's a CA school in football. Uh, you know, it, it just it's just an odd thing considering JMU is pretty regional with Stony Brook too. But anyway, uh, what would JMU have to do to beat Stony Brook? I don't know how much you've looked at them yet. 
but what what do you kind of see with Stony Brook there and some of the challenges the Seawolves pose? I mean, that's going to be kind of a, a pretty even matchup on paper anyway, it looks like. Uh, you look at their RPIs, I think JMU is 16th, if I'm remembering correctly, and Stony Brook was 19th. Their records are almost identical. Um, so they're kind of on the same level as far as you know what they've done this year. They both kind of rolled through their conference um, and you know maybe didn't have the high quality wins that could have got them into the national seeding conversation this year. Uh, so it'll be an interesting one. I would think the way JMU's been playing lately, they've been kind of clicking on offense. Um, they're going up to the D.C. area, which is an easier trip for them. A lot of you know. Players are from that area, so their you know families are going to be there. I mean, lacrosse families tend to travel pretty well anyway for these games. But you would think JMU will have a pretty uh, decent support group there, and um, I would I would put my money on them getting past that first round. But you never know; it's going to be a pretty uh, evenly matched game. What was what was Shelley's reaction uh, to to just the way they, the way everything was set up and how it played out for JMU? Um, well, I mean, they were thrilled to win the CAA tournament um, and you know do it again third year in a row to do it in a dominating fashion that they did. You know, she you talk about Shelly Clay's Bauckham, she never holds back what she's thinking, and um, <laughs> that's for sure. If you've yeah. ever talked to Shelly, yeah, uh, you, you do get a very honest answer right away. Yeah, and you know, she basically said we were dominant, and that's what we want to see, and that's what we expect at in this conference at this point in time. You know, after they've you know gotten to this level as a program to win a national championship, to win the conference almost every year for the last several years. Um, you know, it's what they expected, and they were happy to do it. But I think they were also ready to get on to this NCAA tournament and maybe can play, even as the defending national champion can maybe play with a little bit of chip on their shoulder, given the way the bracket came out, given the way that they played against Maryland and UVA in that, you know, middle of the season. They had one bad week kind of almost this this year, and um, they have an opportunity to kind of have some redemption there. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so if JMU gets by Stony Brook, They'll face Maryland, and Maryland is, you know, one of the top, as you mentioned, top one or two teams in the country. You'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. But what would JMU have to do to beat the Terps? Does Shelly even show them the game tape from from earlier this season? How, how do you see it? I don't know. I yeah, you know, I really don't know. That's a uh, Maryland's just kind of been that uh, that mountain they haven't been able to climb for this program for a long time. They. They were the only loss last year. They lost to them in a regular season. That was a much closer game than this season. But, um, yeah, you know, maybe you throw away that tape. Maybe you burn it ceremoniously. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you, you, There's not a whole lot to be gained from that game, I don't think. Um, you know, they didn't play JMU lacrosse. Maryland played extremely well. But, you know, maybe you can look at it and see what you weren't doing offensively because they'll only score five goals beyond giving up at 18, which are, those are both uncharacteristic for his team. But if Jamie's going to win that game, it's going to be probably a low-scoring game that they have to get it done on the defensive end. Yeah, I guess if there's one thing, at least at least Jamie kind of knows what Maryland's all about at this point. Yeah. Uh, go if they were to beat Stony Brook and go into that second-round game uh, against the Terrapins. So uh, that's where lacrosse is at. Shane, you'll be at softball 
starting tomorrow because the Duke's playing a CA tournament, which is over at Veterans Memorial Park. Uh, typical, typical venue for, for the CA softball tournament. I know uh, when I talked to Joey D about the, the TV stuff, he said he'll be in Harrisonburg. Uh, as, as Most of the time, uh, the commissioner shows up for these big-time uh, CAA events. Uh, but anyway... Jamie Softball, they enter the CA tournament number 16 nationally, 44-7 overall, went 20-1 in the CA regular season uh, off a sweep of Delaware this past weekend, and the CA tournament, as I mentioned, starts tomorrow. Jamie will play in the 4 p.m. game, and they'll get the winner of 4th-seeded Drexel and 5th-seeded College of Charleston. What's... What's kind of the, just the basic expectation for, for, for JMU going into this tournament? Yeah, I just actually came back from uh, Memorial Hall where the softball offices are, talked to uh, Megan Good and Coach Warren Laporte. And, um, you know, they are looking at this. They didn't win the uh, CAA tournament last year. You know, Megan Good was in the dugout the whole time, watching kind of helplessly when that happened. Um, but, you know, that's kind of their thing going into this one is you know, we didn't get that trophy last year. We're going to do it. We're going to take care of business and get ready for the NCAA tournament, set themselves up. You know, they hope to host a regional. Um, but, you know, they really kind of need to win these three games and get that championship to kind of make them feel a little bit better about where they stand in that regard. Yeah, I was going to say, if they if they take care of business, win this thing running away, uh, it's clearly they, they've been the best team in the CAA by a lot this year. It's, mm-hmm. it's not close when you look at records and rankings and, and statistics. Uh, Elon is the two seed, just so you know. Towson is the three seed. Elon finished 31-18, and 13-7. Former Broadway standout, Ali Repko plays, plays for that Elon team. Uh, but JMU by far has been has been the best team in the league, right? From start to finish, regular season, the CAA. Yeah, I mean they only lost that one game, and uh, one thing we talked about is their pitching staff is actually pretty fresh for a couple reasons going into the postseason. One, they have three quality pitchers that you know split the innings, as opposed to some teams try to ride one pitcher as long as they can, let them start multiple games in a weekend, things like that. Um, so they've spread out that a little bit just among different arms, and they also have played 30-some innings less this year just because they've blown teams out and had the, the mercy rule in effect sometimes. Interesting. Which is, yeah. yeah, which is basically like playing three or four fewer games and uh, throwing a lot less pitches, and you know, other teams see your batters fewer times, which is you know makes a difference once you uh, start getting into a tournament like this and you're looking at film, you're looking at spray charts, thing, all, all the things that go into the preparation, there's not as much to look at from JMU, uh, you know, when they're beating teams 10 to nothing and they're pulling their position players, you know, after one at bat and things like that. And it, it, it's a little bit of a unique situation in that regard. Yeah, for sure. And that, that's definitely going to help them going into the NCAA tournament. Uh, for sure, where whoever they draw, uh, whether it'll be a regional game at JM, regional series at JMU or somewhere else, uh, those teams odds are haven't seen JMU uh, too often. Yeah, they haven't seen them that much, and they haven't seen them against you know the high caliber competition since you know Early. back to February, February. March. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, there won't be as much to see, and JMU's in a position where you know they can call on Megan Good or Odyssey Alexander as much as they need to without worrying about their arms falling off because they haven't thrown as many pitches as you know a lot of people have at this point of the year. 
This offense, though, uh, speaking of good and Alexander, because they're part of this great offense JMU yeah. has, too, making good 15 homers. Odyssey Alexander has 14. They're 2-3 they're and three on the team in home runs. Kate Gordon, uh, page four, Page County standout, 16 home runs. She also is hitting 434 as one of three players hitting better than 400. Uh, Logan Newton at 442 and Sarah Jubis at 415. When you have that kind of dynamic when you when you think of offense top to bottom, how tough of a, a lineup is it for for these opposing CAA teams or whoever they play really uh, to navigate? Yeah, it's um, it's tough. I mean, one thing um, I was at a game earlier this year where the other team was just kind of at a loss what to do. They pulled their starting pitcher after an inning, then brought her back, and kind of the, the talk in the press box at that point was like, "Oh, I forgot you could do that in softball. You know, bring the pitcher back because." <laughs> Um, you know the rules are a little bit different than baseball, but um, you, you see that sometimes against JMU just because teams are desperate to find something that can kind of try to slow that offensive down. Um, but you know balls fly out of the park. You know you sit in those left field stands. You might get a souvenir. They ask for you to give it back, but you, you know what I mean. But, uh, <laughs> you could take it and run and be yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit of a rebel there. Yeah, but um, no, you, you get that opportunity to maybe uh, make a catch and get on get on the. Uh, streaming broadcast and everything when you sit out there because the balls do fly out of the park. Yeah, for, for sure. The soothing the soothing uh, voice of Kurt Dudley will yeah. recognize your, your great catch. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so Jamie's softball, and you'll be there throughout the weekend, correct? Yeah, yeah. They uh, get started tomorrow afternoon. And, um, yeah, you said weekend, but I think they're done uh, by Friday fr- afternoon. Done by Friday. Yeah, but yeah. no, it just seems like a weekend when you're at the ballpark. So it's a. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you, you think of these tournaments, and most of the time, because I think baseball is the same way in a couple of weeks. Maybe it's Wednesday through yeah. Saturday baseball uh, when when CA baseball tournament comes to JMU, and they should be in it this year. At least it's looking like with a couple of Colonial Athletic Association series left uh, on the Duke's baseball side. But uh, yeah, these tournaments, they feel like it should be a weekend thing, yeah. even though it's not. Yeah, but they get it out of the way so they're ready for uh, the NCA selection coming up this weekend. So um, they do that. They know where they they know where they stand as far as you know record, RPI, all that stuff, and they'll uh, probably make their pitch to. Say we're, we're deserving of a regional host, and hope that comes back to uh, Harrisonburg. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last thing I want to get to is the CAA's new deal with Flow Sports. It's their new media deal announced on Monday morning. Uh, I had a story on it in today's paper, Tuesday's paper in the DNR. You can find it online, uh, dnronline.com, or on the James Madison Rivals site, dukesofjmu.com, or uh, on Twitter. Uh, at Medea underscore DNR Sports. You can find the link there. Uh, it's a four-year, seven-figure deal uh, where Flow Sports uh, is the f- – I'll put it this way. The CA is the first league to pick a direct-to-consumer streaming company as its primary media rights holder. And I think that's that's maybe the troublesome JMU fans are having, uh, you know, kind of understanding, maybe across the board in CAA, understanding of what this deal is. Is all about. I know you've read all about it too, uh, and doing your due diligence. What was your take when when this was kind of un, 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 unveiled uh, yesterday morning? Um, it wasn't terribly surprising. I know you've talked to uh, people here at JMU in the league office. I, I talked briefly to uh, Joey D'Antonio at the women's basketball tournament about you know what might be happening along these lines and you know lots everything's kind of going to the streaming there's more and more people cutting the cord as far as cable goes and things and you know just frankly 
if you're a mid-major conference, you're not going to get the financial commitment from an ESPN or somebody to put your games on TV that you need to compete. That's a thing of the past. That's yeah. that's That's been gone for probably a couple yeah. of years now. And I would say it probably took the CAA a little bit longer to recognize that uh, than the, the fans, the fans of the teams in the league, uh, would like would like that would like to have seen, uh, but it took the CA a little bit of time to recognize it. And now they found something that's kind of suitable for what their product is and, and what they want to do with their product. Flow Sports. Uh, it's also on the other side of the the coin. It's Flow Sports' first comprehensive all sports deal with a college conference. So you got both parties, I think, really invested in this to make it work. Uh, because it's it's kind of the longevity of both both league both the league and the, the media entity need it to work. More than 300 games, 90 men's basketball games, 50 football games, and 50 women's basketball games will be shown on Flow Sports uh, for so 300 CAA games. That is, and it'll be a 12.50 per month charge uh, for subscribers uh, that want to have access to all these games. So. When you think about that, and, and let's just let's just leave the TV out of it for now, because JMU fans should know that the league getting paid for a TV uh, TV deal is, is a thing of the past. But the league getting paid for this streaming deal, I think, is what's important. Uh, I don't think how how people how much people understand. I don't know if people do understand that that's rare in itself. Is that a streaming company is going to pay the league uh, for its rights? Yeah, and that's, I think, you know, the big thing here. And one of the big question marks is they put out the statement that it's a seven-figure deal, which, as we know, there's a big difference between dividing a million dollars ten ways and dividing nine million dollars ten ways. Um, But either way, they're getting some revenue. um, And, you know, one thing that I found interesting as, you, you know, you talk to Kevin Warner um, and he's been kind of making the rounds with the media and doing uh, different interviews here the last couple of days. One thing he mentioned um, on the radio today was that they're going to take that money that's coming back and they're going to have a basketball fund similar to what, uh, you know, take a step back. <clears throat> the Southern Conference, which, you know, has kind of surpassed the CAA as a basketball league, you know, both with the quality of the play the last couple of years, they're getting multiple teams into the NCAA tournament, um, getting a lot of exposure, uh, things like that. One thing they did was when schools like the College of Charleston left that conference for the CAA was they took those exit fees and they created a fund that was simply, we're going to improve our basketball with this money. They did for different things. They you know, how they handled their conference tournament just – on a different level, they invested in the basketball product because that's where they get the return on the investment is if you get multiple teams into the NCAA tournament. And it's the same for the CAA. Or deeper into the yeah. tournament. As much as everybody loves football and loves the FCS football at JMU, for the athletic department to make money and for the conference to make money, you got to have teams that can make the NCAA tournament, maybe win a game in the NCAA tournament. And so that's what they're trying to do here is – have some money to reinvest in that and that's the long-term hope that that's how it ends up paying off for this league right and to add to that some of the money they will be getting from flow flow sports is going to go into paying cbs sports network 
on the linear side so that they can so the two parties can expand their television their television package it'll include regular season men's basketball and when i spoke with jeff Bourne, he said that's a huge part of this deal with flow sports well it will definitely help us from a digital side but trying to ensure that we have linear coverage at a national level for our men's basketball program has been critically important well to maximize our recruiting efforts and get ourselves in a position where we can uh, hopefully get more than one team in the NCAs mm-hmm. uh, down the road is a major focus for a lot of what we're doing at the conference level right now. Getting those games on TV, like, the CAA is in such a weird, everybody really in college sports is in a weird spot right now, and it's a difficult time to be negotiating these deals because... You know, for one, the, the landscape of college sports is changing all the time with different realignments, things like that. But then also the landscape of the media is changing all the time. Nobody knows, you know, where we're going with streaming, with ESPN, with cable cutting. Will Amazon or Netflix or anybody like that ever get into the sports market? Will people be watching games on Twitter exclusively in 15 years? Nobody knows exactly where this is all going. and. I think I, I think though I think the the big TV network deals CBS like you know SEC footballs mm-hmm. on CBS on Saturdays and ESPN has has you know has ACC football yeah. on Saturday nights a lot with Clemson and Notre Dame uh, even though Notre Dame's not really part of the ACC it just plays ACC teams yeah uh, I think you'll always have those Power Five program mm-hmm. Power Five conferences be able to have these television deals it's everyone else that's searching. For what's next. Yeah. And, you know, and that does end up making a difference down the line is getting on TV because, you know, you get your random people who turn on the TV, see what's on. It's like, oh, Hofstra's playing UNC Wilmington. We'll, we'll check it out. And then they see, you know, the star players in that conference, you know, Justin Wright Foreman's whatever, who one thing I consistently saw from fans, you know, particularly Hofstra fans, you know, online this year was that. You know, they got to the March, and Justin Wright Foreman, who was a really good player, one of the nation's top scorers and everything, had not played on national TV this year. And, you know, he's putting up stats similar to what, you know, John Morant was doing at Murray State, but they had their ESPN deal in that conference were playing some games. And, you know, the side effect of that is then ESPN puts him on Sports Center, And, you know, and then you get to March and you get to Selection Sunday and people are talking about, oh, Murray State is an NCAA tournament team. And it's kind of a trickle-down effect there getting on TV. That's why, you know, the CAA is willing to pay to put themselves on TV rather than, you know, get paid to be on TV the way ACC or the Big Ten or all these bigger conferences do. Yeah, and the other part of the, the TV element with this Flow Sports deal is that Flow isn't going to have any restrictions on what the individual schools and what the conference want to do with linear or traditional mm-hmm. television. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have uh, – the schools are free to negotiate their, their regional sports network deals. So if JMU fans are used to seeing the Dukes on NBC Sports Washington or Masson uh, on the occasional Saturday in the fall because JMU football and Jeff Bourne's department has done that in recent years, that will still be – Acceptable. So mm-hmm. a lot of those RSN deals for those basketball program, those those basketball deals are still in play because Flow will allow that. The only thing that's really going away when Flow Sports does a game 
is the school's in-house in-house stream. So yeah. uh, if if Flo is doing a broadcast from JMU, uh, that means there won't be any Madison for that particular game. But if they're not doing a game, uh, if they're not doing a game, JMU's feel you free to do their Madison broadcast. So I think that's what's really important in this deal, and that's something Joey D, uh, the commissioner of the CA, Joe D'Antonio, said uh, he really liked about the deal is that it allow it allowed for flexibility with the CAA. There are a lot of different wants and needs for our member institutions when we're dealing with 17 schools. Okay, some some institutions some institutions heavily value their RSN relationships. Certainly, JMU was one of them, and we wanted to try to find a partner that was going to allow us to create what I would call a comprehensive media package. Yeah, and that's really not a big change from what things have been in the past. You know, if ESPN came to town to broadcast the JMU Hofstra men's basketball game, then ESPN owns that game. It's not being on Mad Zone either, and you're paying for it. You maybe don't think about the way you're paying for your cable because you've been doing it for so long, but you're paying for that, and ESPN's bought that rights, and, you know, it's not any different. It's just coming to you in a different platform. Yeah, so that's... That's really what's what's interesting with all this is just I think the versatility of the deal is what's appealing for the league is that you think about it and D'Antonio just said it 17 different schools in this league and not all of them are the same some are football only schools some are men's basketball and 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 they're part of that league and mm-hmm. and some play baseball and so they're, they're different not all not all of them are the same uh, and some have different resources than other Rhode Island is much different than James Madison when it comes to football uh, so I think because the league had to think of that and because some of those schools prioritize different things I think they had to find kind of something in the sweet spot that'll allow for some flexibility and this flow sports deal was it yeah <clears throat> and you talk about you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the way ESPN will promote the teams that they do business with. It's going to be a smaller scale, but Flow Sports is going to do the same thing. You know, Kevin Warner mentioned that they're going to have a studio show where they talk, uh, you know, exclusively about CAA sports. And I would assume they're going to have, you know, their writers and their people who work for them, you know, being more involved and being more aggressive in pursuing stories from uh, the CAA. Um it's on a smaller scale, but it's going to be out there. And it's a company that, you know, seems to be establishing itself in its niche and, you know, probably can do some things to help with the uh, exposure of this league. Yeah, so, so people know War- Kevin Warner did go down to Austin, Texas, on behalf of JMU to Flow Sports' headquarters. One thing that stuck out to me, and, and you can find this quote in a story that I wrote, is that, you know, both sides need this to work. Uh, Flow Sports is invested in this because this is their first big jump into a ma- into a Division One college sports conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the CAA, they need it to work because they need people to be able to access their product and watch their games. Yeah, you, like you said, they're legitimately partners in this. When you look at you know both sides having something invested and needing this to work, it's different than if you're the Big East and you're making a deal with Fox and maybe. The Big Ten comes along and you become less of a priority. Both of these teams may need things to work so 
they can move forward in this business the way they want to. So good stuff, Shane. That's right. The CAA and Flow Sports agreeing to a four-year, seven-figure contract. Uh, so that was the big news in the CAA. This week, Shane will have all the lacrosse and softball coverage uh, as, as those tournaments uh, get underway. JMU in a CAA softball tournament, and then JMU, obviously, in the NCAA lacrosse tournament. But we're going to switch gears now, go to Cody, who's who's on the phone, probably somewhere between, I don't know where, Penn Laird and, and East Rockingham. Cody, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, just, I'm, I'm actually sitting down here, down here in my car right now, um, getting ready for a big soccer match tonight, and then, um, you know, a big baseball uh, game later this week. So, Yeah, and, that, and that's really what I wanted to talk to, to you about uh, this afternoon, is that big baseball game. Uh, on Friday night, it's Turner Ashby at Broadway, and Cody, this is this is a de facto regular season league title game, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, when Broadway won that first game over TA, and they, they kept winning, and you know everybody kind of just forgot about TA a little bit and kind of just expected Broadway to cruise to this title. But um, since that game, TA, you know, they've lost a couple of non-district games, but you know, in terms of their valid district opponents, they've continued to take care of business. And and uh, you know, by by Broadway losing an early season game to Fort, now you've got you know they're sitting there with that one loss at the top of the district standings, and TA's right behind them there with two. Um, so you know, if TA can manage to get a win on Friday, um, you know. They actually, from what I've understood, um, they'll actually be co-champions. Uh, you know, there, there won't be an automatic regional berth. Um, they'll have to play through that through the tournament. And um, it, it'll just be an interesting scenario because it really makes things interesting. Um, I've talked to coaches from both teams, and, and nobody's really even sure right now how the tiebreaker situation will even work on Friday night. Um, you know, in terms of who will get the number one seed for the tournament. Um, there's been talks, you know, Harrisonburg is the team to beat TA, Fort's the team to beat Broadway. You know, it could come down to who has the better district record between them. Um, so it'll just be interesting. But, you know, Broadway is a team that they, they want to kind of, you know, they've already beat TA once, and now they, if they can do it again, I think it really solidifies themselves as a, you know, a legitimate team this year that has hopes to hopefully make it a deep postseason run. Yeah, Turner Ashby at twelve and six overall, eight and two in a Valley District. Broadway sixteen and one, and eight and one in the district. Okay, so so you mentioned some of the tiebreakers. Do you see a scenario uh, where the, there is a huge difference between getting the one and the two seed uh, for the Valley District tournament? Is there a massive difference? Just just in your opinion, before we get into this game a little bit. I don't, honestly. I, I, I think that either way, I think that this is a tournament, and, I, and I've talked to a couple of coaches around the district, too, about it. I think it's a tournament where anybody can beat any. I think outside of, you know, Waynesboro's down there in that in that six slot, because you take Harrisonburg out, because they, they won't be playing in the tournament this year. So you take Harrisonburg out, Waynesboro's in that six slot, and I, I think they're the only guaranteed win you've got in the district. So, you know, either of those top two spots, they're, they're getting a bye either way for the first round. And then I think in that second round, you know, Fort Defiance, Rockbridge County, uh, Spotswood, all three of those teams I think are capable of not only, you know, giving those teams a good game, but I think any of those teams can win a game and possibly even win a district championship. I think it's that wide open. Um, you know, I've said it all year long. I, while Broadway and TA record-wise have kind of separated themselves a little bit, I really do believe that um, any team in the district is capable of beating anybody on any given night. I mean, Spotswood has shown that. Fort Defiance has shown that they've beaten Broadway. 
Um, you know, all those teams have shown that ability at times. Rockbridge had Broadway on the ropes just last night, um, went eight innings, and Broadway won in the eighth. So I think really any of those teams can win a game, and any of those teams will be there in that second round. So, you know, you're talking about at a one seed, you might face Spotswood rather than Ford, or you might face Rockbridge rather than Ford. I really don't think it's that big of a difference. Okay, who, who's Broadway going to throw in this game? Are they throwing Peter Scheim, who's who's 6-0 and and probably the front-runner for, for the district pitcher of the year, I would assume? Well, you would think so. I, what would be interesting is what they've been doing in the past few weeks, um, they've been kind of, you know, working with the numbers a little bit, and they've been splitting um, Peter Scheim and Emswell a lot. And, you know, you could argue they've got two of the three or four best pitchers in the district and those two guys, and what they've really been doing, and Tim Turner said, he's like, I'll just flip a coin and kind of decide who starts, and then the other guy comes in for the relief, and um, they do them about even for the game. Now, for a game like TA, I don't know if they'll, you know, if they'll do it any differently because it is a little bit bigger. Um, you would think Peter Shine will be the guy if, if they do that, but, you know, Wyatt Emsler is one of those guys. I think everybody keeps kind of expecting him to maybe come down a little bit from, you know, how well he's been playing, and he just continues to play at a high level. So, you know, either of those guys, um, Emsler had a lot of success the first time they played TA. Uh, I think he held him to three or four hits there. Uh, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they throw out there, but either of those guys are very, very good options. Yeah, Peter Scheim, 6-0. and with a 1.18 ERA, 42 strikeouts in uh, 35 and two-thirds innings. That's that's unbelievable, Cody. Who, who's T.A. going to throw? Well, they've got a couple guys as well, and I think you know what's interesting for them is a lot of this, they're the guys who they've been throwing recently are, are some guys who are hurt at the beginning of the year. Um, Grant Thomas, Hunter Miller, some of those guys, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Hunter Miller go out there, but they've also got some of those guys that uh, either the Griffin brothers could come on as well. So TA's been kind of kind of up and down with who they pick on. They've kind of been throwing a bunch of different guys out there, and I think that's because of you know how young they are and just trying to get different guys out there. Um, they've had I think five or six pitchers with over ten innings this year. So um, you know I, I can't definitely point to one person, but um, I, I definitely think that you know it could be someone like Grant Thomas or Hunter Miller that steps out there, um, and that would be a great chance for those young guys to kind of step up and show, you know, how much improvement they've made this year and, and, and where they are as a team now compared to where they were early in the year when they went through some of those struggles. Who, who has the better lineup? Uh, thank you. Right now, I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny. If you look at, at, at the heart of the order, you know, you look at the, you know, overall, um, I, I would say, you know, TA has, has a couple of top-heavy guys in terms of they've got Nick Griffin and Addison Griffin, a pair of brothers who are, you know, first and third, I think, right now in the district, um, hitting-wise in terms of average. Um, but I think I, it, it's hard for me to pick anybody in terms of Broadway's lineup one through nine because, you know, you've got Bryce Shooters there in the leadoff spot, which is rare. You don't usually see a guy like him, at, you know, a Division One talent. In the leadoff spot, you've got guys like Bryce Turner, uh, Tanner Morris, Cole Morris, uh, Justin Moore, um, Jacob Peterson. He's been great as a hitter as well. You've got all these guys throughout that entire lineup. You've even got guys who don't play on a day-to-day basis that have stepped in there. You know, young guys, Landon Stuhlmiller, uh, Noah Hurts, or different guys like that. So they've got a lot of different names they can throw in there and throw in at different spots. And it's hard for me to say any team right now, you know, one through nine has a better lineup than them. And that, that's interesting. Is, is Suter's going to be the player of the year in the district, you think? Well, you, you would think so. He, he's kind of went through a little bit of a slump here recently. Um, actually, I talked to him about it. He, he had a double against Spotswood that went off the wall. And, and, it, and up until that point, he had really been, for the past week, week and a half, he had been struggling. And 
uh, kind of got him back on track a little bit. Uh, you know, I would say overall series, you look at just the overall numbers, um, his averages went down a little bit. I think he sits at, you know, third or fourth down the district. But, you know, when you look at just the team leaders and if they do end up winning on Friday, they win the district outright. You know, he, he leads them in home runs. He leads them in RBS. He leads them in stolen bases. So I think when you look at the whole picture, you know, you've got you've to gotta look at him. And, and like we've kind of said all year long, you've got to kind of put the rise of the Broadway program this year in general, you know, pair it with him. Um, so I think if you do that, you know, you've got to get him the player of the year. Yeah, he's hitting 424 with three homers, 19 ribbies, and 21 steals. How, how – I mean, what's your excitement level for Friday? Because this is this is probably the game of the year, uh, at least regular season wise, across all spring sports in the area. Correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's what I mean. It, you've got it. I mean, you look forward. To, this is what you you know. This is what coaches and players want to play in games like this. Where you know, I mean, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a packed house. Um, I, I really enjoyed games at Broadway. It's a great view out there. They've got a, a nice little uh, venue for the games. Um, I think it's gonna be a packed house and. You know, uh, I think TA's kind of – and it's weird because Broadway was kind of that team with a chip on its shoulder early in the year in terms of they wanted to prove themselves. And, um, you know, they've, they've now won 15 in a row, and they've kind of got that train rolling. And then suddenly the roles have kind of reversed. And TA, I think, might come in there with a little bit of chip on their shoulder in terms of, you know, they're still TA, and, and everybody's been kind of looking past them, and they might want to prove themselves in terms of that. They're, they're still TA, and they can still win a district title if they want to. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, the attitude and the mindset that each team comes into that game with. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I think it's two teams that, you know, that have a really good shot of making some postseason noise as well. Gotcha. Okay, Cody, last thing for, for me. Uh, just in terms of uh, what you got the rest of this week, obviously the big baseball game Friday, tonight some soccer. What else are you working on? Yeah, I got the big soccer match tonight, Spotswood and Harrisonburg. Yeah, that, that's a huge rivalry game. Those two teams really get after it. Um, you know, we've and, and then just the rest of the week, we're continuing to kind of transition finally into this postseason stage. Um, the Valley District regular season, like, like we've just talked about, closes up Friday night. Um, that's pretty much across all spring sports. Um, Eastern Mennonite soccer, they've already, most of their sports have already started their postseason. So you just kind of got this transition stage this week, and then next week, um, you know, we'll get underway with the postseasons. And I think that it's, you know, I think across a lot of the leagues, and especially with our city county teams, I just think there's going to be a lot of really good games and a lot of, you know, upsets, different things like that that can happen. I just, I think it's a wide open um, season, you know. TA softball is a, a, a district that, you know, yeah, I can see them dominating through that run. It's hard to see anybody beating them. But, you know, you look at a lot of the other leagues, I mean, I just think that, that throughout the regular season we've seen a lot of a lot of parity throughout them all. And so I think it'll make for a fun uh, postseason next two weeks. For sure. For, from, a, uh, from a slow spring malaise to all of a sudden uh, the postseason, uh, that, that stretch run is, is ramping up, and it starts with TA and Broadway baseball on Friday. Cody, enjoy the soccer uh, tonight in Penn Laird. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Uh, Jim was on vacation, by the way, this week. He's probably sitting on a train somewhere between uh, Chicago and Virginia. Uh, so we'll, we'll have Jim back next week on the pod. Uh, but big thanks for, for Cody and Shane uh, for talking JMU sports and, and what's going on in the area prep-wise. Uh, so until next week, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.